Welcome to the Alchemy of Success podcast. I'm Vince Fusco. In the last 15 years, I've done everything from stagehand to award-winning director, husband and father of two, creative marketing expert, and professional growth and success coach. I specialize in helping people find their purpose, reach their goals, and realize their dreams, while building their confidence and self-love to live a life at their full potential. This podcast is dedicated to the exploration of the human experience, the drivers of, and the physical, mental, and spiritual metrics we measure success by. From personal life stories to inspiring tales from special guests, we'll be sharing our journeys of success and what it is to us. My hope is that this show will serve as a source of personal inspiration to spark your curiosity and ignite your mind, body, and spirit to your own brilliance. So you too can thrive in finding your own alchemy of success. Hey everyone, happy Wednesday. Welcome to the latest episode of the Alchemy of Success with Vince Fusco. I'm Vince Fusco. I'm glad you're here. Today is the conversation that I have been waiting to have for, I can't even tell you how many months it feels like now. Casey St. Ange has worked her way through the entertainment ranks of Hollywood, starting at The Late Show with David Letterman not only as an intern, but then becoming David's assistant to writing positions at the Rosie O'Donnell show, writing live material for icons, including Joan Rivers, Bette Midler. She's a writer and a producer on VH1's cult classic, VH1's Best Week Ever, and she was the co-EP on Watch What Happens Live with Andy Cohen for nine years before being named showrunner of Busy Tonight, hosted by actress and Instagram superstar Busy Phillips, which was also executive produced by Tina Fey. Wild. Casey and Busy now host a weekly podcast called Busy Phillips is Doing Her Best. Find it on Spotify or wherever good pods are cast. It's one of my favourite listens and uh, I highly recommend it. Casey was so generous to not only continue the conversations with me online of late um, as we as we got to know each other, I guess, and just go back and forth the planning for today, but then to sit with me for a couple of hours and share some of her experiences from college through her career in the early days right up until today, but more importantly, the lessons that she's learned along the way and the humanity that she uh, maintains through everything she does. This is one of my favourite conversations. I feel like I've got to say, put your goals out there. I took a moment the day that we recorded this, like five minutes beforehand, and I said to my wife, this is a big deal. You know, from when it's an idea to then planning to the actual production day, if you will, or, you know, when something becomes a reality, take those moments in. Acknowledge when you have work towards a goal and you've achieved it. That's something that, you know, we we forget sometimes in the day-to-day life. We just get too caught up. So put your goals out there, guys, because if I can sit down for a couple of hours with Casey St. Ange and talk all about life and career and walk away with some absolute gems of advice and inspiration for not only myself, but for you listening, then we're doing the right thing here. I should tell you that I've left the entire first half an hour uh, unedited on this uh, this one. Normally when I get on to these recordings, I'll normally have a chat with my guests and we have a bit of a catch-up or just a bit of an overview of the the conversation and and the general niceties, but um, I'll normally cut from the introduction or thereabouts uh, and then the sort of ending where we, we wrap up. But in this instance, we just 
hit it off as soon as she came online we we start chatting and we get into it very quickly and before you know it we're about halfway half an hour in before uh, I even do the introduction but I've left all of that on there and then I do make reference to it a little later on in the conversation I was going to cut it up and drop those conversations in to where they may fit chronologically or uh, you know when we reference those those earlier stories but I've just decided to leave it because I want you to hear the whole conversation as it was in context and uh, I think that's the, the best way to present it to you. So this is my conversation with the just wonderful Casey St. Ange. God, hello, Casey Saint Ange. It's so lovely to see you. I'm wonderful. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. Are you all set recording on your end? Are you good? Do you need me to do anything? I am all set. I'm recording at my end. Thank you so oh, much. Great. It's of so course. surreal to hear you asking me that and not busy. <laughs> oh my goodness! Thank you so much for. Uh, agreeing to come on and have a of chat course. oh my god like I, I I'm just going to take one minute if I can and just take this in this moment oh, um, because I can't believe I'm genuinely about to have a conversation with you someone who I have really really only discovered in the last like two years but I have found your voice your career to be so inspiring and reflective of mine in a lot of ways that I just find so much value in what you bring and what you present. Um, so I'm really- You're so kind. Oh, no, I, I wanna, I, I really believe in telling people when they make a moment of impact. And I think it's something that we don't often get to do with our, our icons or people who we aspire to emulate or work with or you know, learn from be that family, friends, or strangers. Sometimes right. you can impact a stranger without even knowing. And I, I think those moments when are shared, they can make bigger moments of impact. So I, I just wanna to say like, yeah, this is a real moment for, uh, for me, for my podcast. And I'm so thrilled and thankful for you. So cheers. Well, I appreciate it so much. And I'm so grateful that you asked me to be your guest. It's so nice to meet you. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. It is a... Yeah, this has been a, a podcast that somewhat stemmed from a bit like the Busy Phillips is doing her best show, you know, a pivot in careers. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a performer and actor of 20, 30 years, have done, you know, theatre, musical theatre, film. Yeah, yeah. Folks, let me just tell you, if you're just listening to this and you're not looking at Vinny, he doesn't even look like he could be 30 years old. Oh, my so. God, that's the best. Thank you. Thank you. No, I, don't, I mean... You know, not that like, not that you can look great if you're over 30, but you look like a very, like a baby. I'll, I'll take that. I appreciate that. <laughs> I um no, I'm, I'm 34. Um, wow. I have a, I started a very, very young career in musical theater, like from like 12 years old yeah. and then like competitive ballroom dancer, singer, dancer, teacher. And then, um, yeah, have performed all over the world as a musical theater performer um everywhere Europe the USA spent some time in New York in the in 2011 and 
and so when I hear like the the stuff that you share in your stories as well about I guess like coming up through Hollywood a little bit different but you know you're in New York you're working with the likes of Letterman and such like to hear that trajectory it made me just go like yeah I I get it I get it so totally and I want to share that so (laughs) um yeah having having stopped performing with not just COVID, but, you know, life change after doing that for 15 years and touring, I was like, I got to come back home and I've met the girl of my dreams. We got married. We now have babies and we've been married. Congratulations. For, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. That Yeah. I had swimming lessons this morning, as I mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> so. I love that. I'm glad they're taking lessons. That's great. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's amazing. Right. And now you get this whole, other chapter of your life that you get to enjoy in a way that I don't know if that's what you were always working toward, but how cool is it? Exactly. Like a hundred percent. How cool is it? And I guess even one of the questions that I wanted to, to look at with you today as well, based on even, like you said, these chapters, you've had so many yourself. When you started out, was that always how you pictured it or is it now as you're asking me the same thing like is that what you were always working towards if it was how cool and if not still how cool like you're still here do you know what I mean like you're still getting to a place that's fulfilling you get to do something you love every day yeah I mean it's I don't know if it's interesting it's interesting to me to look at because it's my life but like I think I kind of only like a lot of little kids want to be a lot of things, you know, and they change a lot what they want to, what they want to be. And I think I always was like, I only ever had a very short list. Like I was just telling someone the other day that like, I wanted to work on the Muppet show from the age that I was so little that I didn't understand. Like I thought that I would go to the Muppet show and like Scooter and Kermit would be my colleagues. That's how little I was. And so that's kind of like, I knew that's what I wanted to do. And there were other things and there are things that I'm still interested in. I love science. I think I could have very easily been like a research scientist, like in the medical field. I love design. I, you know, have studied design over the years, um, both formally and informally. And I think I could have gone in that direction um, or like working in television. But that's the one that, you know, I think was like my earliest. Like, I remember the moment when I realized oh, like the Muppets aren't real creatures like putting on this show. The names at the end of the show are the are real people that make this show. I could work with those people. Oh, oh, oh. And then I just sort of like it just that became like the goal. I think that became the most um, steady goal uh that that I had and and then I would always watch I don't know if you watched when you were a kid like reruns of the Dick Van Dyke show yeah 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 and yeah and and so um Sally was a writer on on that show a TV writer and she had her cool hair bow and uh and I thought that you know again I was very little and I was like I don't 
even think that like nobody ever told me that I was funny. I don't get where like I loved comedy, certainly, but nobody ever was like, you're a hilarious kid. I just was like, I'm going to do I'm going to write comedy. You know, that's yeah, like yeah, what yeah. I'm going to do. But my dad. <laughs> no, that's not true. My dad did tell me that I was funny sometimes, but like he was maybe a, a little bit of an unreliable narrator, but I mean, <laughs> being honest about about thinking that I was funny. So, yeah. So that's just like. I don't know. I wasn't like wildly ambitious, you know, I just and I wasn't like obsessively writing like so many people are like I journaled every day, you know, since I learned to write and I was always right creating plays and all these things. And I really wasn't ever doing that. I don't know. Like maybe I had like undiagnosed ADD or whatever, you know, but I, I really never buckled down and tried to, I was the kid that was always like writing the first sentence of some like novel that I was going to write. And then it's like abandoned or whatever. Totally. totally. That was oh. me. Yeah. I agree. But I'm like started, like, I don't know how many little books as a yes, kid, like yes. no, this will be the one. And yeah, yes. I get like a paragraph in and I'll come back to it and never went back to it. (laughs) Exactly. And I think that's probably a much more common experience than the one that we hear so much about how I just wrote every minute and I read every minute and I read a lot, but I also spent a lot of time screwing around with my cousins. I had like older guy cousins who were also very funny and like just learning like if you want to get in and make a joke you have to you know like be shoot bold your shot. yeah yeah shoot your shot and um and if you can make them laugh then that was a big deal i spent a lot of time watching great comedy on television which people you know how many times were we always told like you get away from the television you're like rotting your brain or whatever square eyes that's what we would yeah exactly (laughs) exactly and i was like i'm learning like i'm learning the craft that i will one day do i mean but also i don't think i knew that consciously all i know is that i'm grateful for the amount of time that i spent watching television and then just like being you know kind of um i think lin-manuel miranda Mm -hmm. who is the best um he talks about something that kids don't get nowadays or i don't know if he framed it in that but i i'm interpreting him as saying like a thing that kids don't get nowadays is benign neglect where our parents were very busy (laughs) that a lot of us were latchkey kids yes yes you know so we were just left to our own devices and not our devices (laughs) um we were just left to our own devices to like, you know, do whatever within reason. And so I just spent a lot of time drawing and just being creative, drawing and and making things. I mean, like if inventor was a job, that might be like what I would do for a job. Love, like, love, inventor, yeah, you know, inventor uh, of yeah. things. <laughs> <laughs> so I was always, you know, I was always like just trying to be creative. And I think that, when your brain works in a creative way and you just allow it to do what it's doing, then it helps in like all areas of creativity. And I think that everyone, I think that everyone is probably pretty creative if they, yeah. if they give it a go, if they, yeah, or, you know, they've got to yeah, be willing, just, just give get it a out go. of their, get out of their brain's way. I think that yeah. people, people are all creative when that happens. Oh my God. There's so many things that I want to 
even just unpack from that throughout this conversation. <laughs> um, you know, the, the idea of television um, and shaping our minds, I'm just making these notes quickly so I don't forget them, of television, course. because I think that's such a key thing. Like, so um, I grew up in like the 90s, right? And we, yeah. our, our TV really here, like we had, there's some things being produced locally in Australia at the time, like the big ones are your sort of your neighbours, but that's huge in the UK, not so much in the US. We're, we're not producing a lot of television for the US, Right. Let alone now, like now we are with our, our film industry here, specifically in South yeah. Australia. Like we've got the SA film studios here that we work out of and we're producing for Stan and Netflix and Hulu and a number of different networks now and streaming services. So like our landscape has changed, but back then our television, we were just getting a lot of reruns. We were getting Baywatch, Beverly Hills 90210, The Simpsons, of course, you know, 6 p.m. Yes. every night. Like so 90s television for us was very heavily US influenced. We were watching yeah. the Brady, you know, the Brady Bunch from the 60s and 70s was still running in the 90s as reruns, the nanny, uh, Dawson's Creek, where we get to meet Busy, you know what I mean? Like yes, all of these yeah. things. So when, and, and then specifically going back to, like you said, we were left to our devices as you yourself or quoting Lynn Manuel, but we joke about it now, my wife and I, but then the reality is, we've been working from home like this is our home we've been here for two plus years since wow. this pandemic right yeah we we take the children to childcare. like we drop them off and then we come back home to work whereas mum and dad in our generation or and and the ones before were like see ya we're going to work and the parents right. would leave the house do you know what yes. i'm saying like it's a yes. complete weird sort of space and time that we're in as far as the normality of day to day so kids now are either left somewhere more or when they are home they're on their devices which yeah. the content is so far more of far it's far more available on a much bigger spectrum of what they can access whereas I guess if we were only programmed by the six or seven channels we could view on television yes. it was like you know ABC channel two seven nine ten right and that was it and so like for us like ten is like CBS MS, uh, NBC type viewing, then we have like, but again, it's all American. So when we look back now, and even as you say, like how it shaped your mind subconsciously, like, oh, Sally's a writer on the Dick Van Dyke show, or, you know, funny, like what's funny to me, subconsciously, it's all landing. And I guess then it's interesting how then when you said, you know, you've got that goal, like, I want to be a writer, I want to do that. And then to land at Letterman, even just as an assistant, like that surely, uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure you've said it before, I have to go back to the hundreds of hours of podcasts, but like surely that's a moment where you're like, holy God, like Letterman, like is that even then, like his name then was still so big as it was now. Yeah, I mean, it, well, here's my my experience of Dave um and you know he, he was a huge star my dad was a huge fan of yeah. his his late night show on NBC and that was ongoing and so you know I have to give credit to my college because I went to I went to the same college 
I'm where I met my husband at that college. My parents met at that college. It was in my hometown. I couldn't afford a lot. I couldn't go away to like a really fancy school. And so I just stayed in my hometown and went to the state college in my hometown where I could live at home and it could be very affordable. So I think that I want to say that my college costs like in a year when I got tons of scholarships, I think it cost me like $2,000 to go. And I think my total tuition before scholarships was $8,000 a year at the time. And so a year, not like a semester. And so I just did it to, you know, to be able to afford it because my parents hadn't, they didn't have a life where they were able to put away money to send me to college. And, um, and I always knew that. So I went to this uh, Fitchburg State College in Fitchburg, Massachusetts, in my hometown. And it was kind of a bummer because I had friends going off to like cool schools. They're going to live in dormitories. They're going to like finally be grown up. And I stayed living at home with my mom. And Vinny, here's a fun fact. Uh, you know who else enrolled at Fitchburg State College that semester, my freshman year? <laughs> my mother went back for graduate <laughs> school. So I went to college literally with my mother, like the Melissa McCarthy movie. Okay, I was just going to say, tell me that this is somehow you're related to that. Like, no. no, I'm not. But I was like, I just started thinking about it. I was like, I literally I started, that. I was like, I should write a movie about how I went to college with my mother and how weird that was. And then like that, that, Melissa McCarthy's movie was announced in um, Deadline like a week later. And I was like, well, I mean, I had all these years to act on it and I never did. So that's a a painful lesson. But yeah, my mom went back and got her graduate degree. I spent so much time. Oh, but that's so sweet. That's so lovely, isn't it? Like It it was so weird. But so how how would you say, oh my God, this is the best. Um, Did she, (laughs) like, but was it like, we're, we're now we're classmates like was it yeah I, I'm thinking back of like that episode of friends where Rachel's mom wants to be in like one of the girls again you know I what I mean it. like it was like um I think I spent so much time trying to avoid my mother on campus and like walking in the other direction when oh. I'd see her and the two most memorable things I think um are that I told her that I had started dating someone, which was my husband, my husband now. We had met and we started dating. And I saw her in the library when I was with another guy classmate. We were working on a project together. And I remember my mom like whispering, like, is that your boyfriend? Lurking. And I was like, <laughs> please get out of here right now and never do anything like that again. And that. then another time, I think I was like performing. I was doing some performance for some class and, uh, I know that she like came and sat in the back and then like dipped out so she wouldn't embarrass me so I could like have my college moment. But yeah, I went to college with my mom. I went to college with my husband. I went to college with, you know, other people, but those are the two (laughs) most notable to me. But to my college's credit, they required that you do an internship before you could graduate. And my college was like, like I truly... I think that I planned to just like really just be chill, like, you know, not be very ambitious. And and I planned to figure things out. And again, to my college's credit, they were like, 
we are willing to set you up with an internship. It's at a lighting rental warehouse in Boston and you would have to commute to Boston every day. And I was like, that sounds like the worst possible <laughs> way to spend my last semester of college. Like, no offense to, like, whoever loves working in a lighting rental warehouse. Yeah, yeah, but that yeah. seemed very much not what I wanted to do. And I was niche. like, yeah. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to they're going to send me to this if I don't find something myself. And so my husband had had an internship the semester before me and he was at comedy central in New York city. And so I want, I was like, because again, like just floating along, I'll go where my boyfriend goes. I'm going to go to New York city. <laughs> That's what girls did in the nineties. You go where the boyfriend goes. It's true. People will say other people will say I wasn't like that at all, but I was like that. And so he was in New York City. He was working at Comedy Central where he had been an intern and his boss was like, oh, tell her no worries. I'll give her an internship here at Comedy Central if she doesn't get another one that she would rather do. But tell her like, you know, worst comes to worst. She's an intern here, which would be that would be pretty great to be like an that's intern. The, that's the best worst case scenario. Yeah, exactly. But like, just let her know that like all systems go. She can like plan on living in New York next semester. How good. And um, so then I just applied at like everything in New York City from like everything that was like a court show, like the people's court to like to just everything. And I got a call from letterman saying like will you come to new york city for an interview and so yeah i just got on the bus with my little suitcase and went to new york and like that interview is a whole story like i spent hours interviewing with the writers you know like the the they just brought me in to nbc and like handed me off to one person who then handed me off to another person and <laughs> i was just interviewing with everyone yeah. And I had a great conversation with every single writer. And then the internship director finally came and like found me and was like, where have you been? I've been looking for you. And I was like, oh, I was talking to like every individual writer. And she was like, they already chose their intern like two weeks ago. Like they're just talking to you because they like talking to girls. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, great. What am I going <laughs> to? So then I was like they took me to Dave's office and to meet with his executive assistant. And he came out, actually, I wasn't expecting him to come out, but he came out and chatted with me for a couple of seconds. And he was like, well, can you drive a, a manual, a stick shift car? And I was like, Oh no, I don't know how to do that. And he was like, well, that's really all we need my intern to do. <laughs> so he was like, well, it was nice to meet you. And I was like, great, nice to meet you. And then I was like, well, I guess I'm going to work at comedy central. And then all this news came out that like Letterman was leaving NBC and going to CBS and like it was just a lot. And I was like, I surely have been lost in the shuffle of this. And like I couldn't do the one thing for the one internship that was open, whatever. Drive, shit. Drive stick shit. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's, yeah. <laughs> so the requirement so, like that's that's so funny because that's comedy in itself. The requirement for your comedy writing internship is to drive stick shift exactly Nothing like that in itself is is golden i'm exactly. so hang on is that that's for real they, they they had already chosen their intern and they literally just 
for the sake of chatting to a girl or or well, just like, I mean, wasting just, time or, or like just, just like hanging out and like oh, man. you know informational interview and <laughs> felt like they were doing me a favor yeah, and, yeah. you know they were it was interesting but I just thought it was like going towards part of the process like, like well this is just how they must interview here Exactly. Yeah, exactly. crazy. So, um, yeah, so I just was like, oh, this isn't happening. And I needed to, like, get, you know, get it locked down and, and get details of when I was starting my internship. So I was like, let me just call, like, let me just call before I take the internship at Comedy Central and just say, like, at least, like, thank you for interviewing me or whatever. Again, yeah. thanks again. And so I called and, like, the internship director was like, oh, it's been really hectic here. I have you on my list to call. And, um, but she was like, but yeah, D- um, Dave's office picked you to be their intern. And I was like, oh, that's weird because they said um, that, like, they need someone that can drive stick shift and I can't. And she was like, yeah, I don't know. I'm just telling you, like, what I know. So they picked you, be here August 15th and, you know, ready to go. And I was like, oh, God. So I did try to learn how to drive stick shift unsuccessfully in that period. It just is not happening. My brain doesn't work that way. But, yeah, I just went to my internship, started. My first job was to, like, move Dave's things from – um, from NBC to CBS, uh, from 30 Rockefeller Plaza to the Ed Sullivan Theater. Um, I walked it, I walked boxes over with a dolly. Um, and yeah, and then that was it. And then eventually when I got enough courage to like say to Dave, um, like, why did you pick me when I couldn't like, wh- why, what was it? And he was like, Oh, I, yeah, I know the answer to this. He was like, I saw your resume on like a past pile and we hadn't picked our internship, our intern yet for that semester. And I was like, this girl has a weird name. No one's ever going to get her name right. She went to not the best college in the world, which I can identify with because I didn't go to the best college. I also went to state university near my home. And he was like, I remember I liked your, I told you I liked your shoes during the meeting and you told me you got them at TJ Maxx. And then he was like, and then I just figured like, um, you know, like you're a smart girl, you'd figure out the car thing. And so whatever, you know? So yeah, so that's like how I started. It was luck. Also, it was like a lot of lucky things, but also have to give credit to my college for requiring an intern ship have to give credit to myself for realizing that I would um rather come down with a terrible illness than working in a lighting <laughs> warehouse um and yeah and then just some luck and have to give credit to Dave for being like let's get the weird name girl with the uh, cheap 100% the weird <laughs> name girl with the cheap shoes man <laughs> well listen Casey we haven't even like I granted this is all recorded and I will add this in throughout but i'm gonna throw to a very quick introduction and we will keep going with this yeah of course of course oh my god that's wild i've taken a couple of notes because you've you've actually just oh my god let me do the intro and then i'll tell you okay okay sure oh my god hello everyone welcome to another episode of the alchemy of success i'm vince fusco i'm glad you're here Today's guest is a voice that I have become very familiar with over the past 24 months, and I am so glad that I have. Casey St. Ange is, in no particular order, an Emmy-nominated comedy writer, producer, showrunner, 
diehard Prince fan. It's very important. We're going to talk about that later. Author, podcast host, wife, mother, daughter, peer of her mother at college, evidently. She has worked through the entertainment ranks at Hollywood, starting at The Late Show with David Letterman, from an internship to Dave's assistant and beyond, to then writing positions at the Rosie O'Donnell show in the 90s. She's working with icons like Joan Rivers. She's worked on VH1's Best Week Ever. And also she was co-executive producer of Watch What Happens Live with Andy Cohen for nine years before being named showrunner of Busy Tonight, hosted by actress and Instagram superstar Busy Phillips, the two of which now host a weekly podcast. Busy Phillips is doing her best. Find it on Spotify or wherever good pods are cast. It's one of my favourite listens every single week. I'm so honoured to have you sitting with me today for a little bit. Casey St. Ange, welcome to the Alchemy of Success. That was such a good intro. Thank you so much. That made me feel very good about myself. (laughs) Thank you for being here. I'm so glad to hear it made you feel good about yourself. It should make you feel good about yourself. Uh, Of Um, course. It is a stellar, stellar career that I look at myself and granted not everyone maybe perhaps loves Hollywood as much as you know, I do all the, the art industry or performance or writing, but when I look at the names, the even the stories you were sharing with me before, you know, about college and your aspirations to become a writer and how it just sort of happened, um, you know, it, it is just an awe-inspiring resume that you've got here with a lot of not just big heads and big names, but what can only be big moments in your life, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's been surreal at times. And then also a lot of times when it gets the most surreal, I have been like, well, why not? You know, why not? Well, why <laughs> why not? not me? Why shouldn't I be here? <laughs> absolutely. No, absolutely. Oh my God. This is so, uh, for those of you who haven't listened to the Busy Phillips podcast, I have probably gone on about it way too much for some of you because I keep saying to people like number one they're always like I didn't know there was a podcast and I stumbled across it just by sheer accident at the beginning of the pandemic in 2020 so right I think you guys had only done two or three episodes at the time Um, and when it started it was yourself uh, Busy Phillips and Shantira Jackson Um, Shantira and like there was just something I think I was searching for busy I saw busy Phillips come up and uh, my wife and I are busy fans and and I was just like oh cool podcast busy Phillips doing her best and then what I discovered from episode one through to whatever episode you're up to now um thank goodness you had a break last week for spring break because I need to catch up a couple episodes so I was (laughs) actually relieved to to um, have a week of a breather but what I found in the in each episode, when it was just the three of you even, the different perspectives from you've got black female comedy writers, white female comedy writers, actress, entrepreneurs, business, like you are mothers, you are friends, you are representing all different representations of life. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You're, and, yeah. and, and the thing that I found so valuable is that your perspectives from all three of you not only when they come together, even if they differ, the way that you communicate them with each other and articulate them, the guests that you had on that would either continue to support your points of views, your perspective, the different narratives, 
not only culturally on a community level or even as a nation from the US, but then globally. And we're talking about things like racism, female-led business, you know, opportunities for equal rights for everybody. Yeah. As well as then sharing your day-to-day struggles in life with each other, which ultimately is what the show is about, you know, doing your best. And, And one of my favorite questions that has become a much bigger question that I now like to ask almost every week, not only of myself, but friends and colleagues and my clients, what are you doing your best at this week? And that creates such a space for the three of you and your guests to then open up this, oh, this, I don't know, this entire world of conversation and experience to share that through your careers, through your your life. And, and what happens is this wonderful three hour, four hour episodes sometimes, and I'm a big fan of a long, a long podcast. So I, yeah. I get behind it, but I just find the depths of conversation that you too busy in yourself, even on your, your own episodes, but even with your guests, you just have a beautiful way of bringing out great conversation and experience from these people that I think is so valuable. And even little quotes like, you know, you've just said, you know, oh, well, why not? Why not me? Why shouldn't I be here? You know, you have a wonderful way of um, putting analogies or metaphors against some situations, some that you very famously have quoted in the past two years on the podcast. One that, again, that I really love is, this is not my shirt. This is not my oil stain. Um, <laughs> that, that, that was, you know, things like that. So to, to have you here today and to share some more of your own personal story, your wisdom, your knowledge, Oh, I'm just, I'm thrilled. So uh, thank you so much. That means a lot to me. Well, first of all, I just want to say to you, thank you so much for being so supportive of the podcast. And also I know we have a lot of listeners in Australia and it means the world to me. Australia was one of the strongest audiences of our television show. One of the most loyal audiences when we had a TV show. And one of my favorite reviews was of busy tonight was in an Australian publication and they just Oh, gosh, I wish I could remember the name of the journalist that wrote it. But the person that wrote it just it was like they they were privy to like our pitch documents and what we were trying to accomplish and what our mission was. And it just felt so good to be like, yes, this is understandable. And this is something that some people want. So let's like just give it to them like, you know, Um, so. Yeah. So that was, uh, that was just wonderful. So I'm so grateful to everyone in Australia who listens to the podcast and who watched the show. Yeah. And, and it was, it was disappointingly short lived. We're talking about busy tonight. So busy tonight was the, uh, busy's late night show that Casey was showrunner for. Um, again, highly recommend go check out the podcast. You can hear all about it guys. You can hear all about how they worked out of like a one tiny little office space. They only had one guy on the team at the time. Again, like a really, it's a phenomenal story. Like to hear how, how people do great things. Uh, I think that's the underrated story of a, a lot of people. Yes. So, I guess like with the podcast, it's, uh, it is your current like sort of weekly project that the two of you yeah. are doing. And you, uh, again, uh, tried a few different things, which I love. I loved your, your the experimental episode. Very clever. <laughs> that was and- so fun and so like exhausting. We tried to like busy have the idea, like instead of recording all at once, let's record like 10 minutes every day. But we didn't talk for 10 minutes every day because once mm-hmm. we start talking, it's like a full half hour minimum. And so it just wound up being like, she was like, I'm exhausted. <laughs> 
I'm exhausting myself, but it wound up being like a very popular episode for us, which was fun. It was very, very cool. It was very cool. <laughs> With all of the things that you do around that as well, obviously you've got your husband, your boys, um, your sons when they're not at college or away, but as a, a writer on multiple projects, an author even, um, you've got a young adult fiction novel, Jane, The Worst Vampire. Yeah, yeah. Um, where does that all come in? If you were to tell your story, you know, from, from we, we talked about it earlier, but it, just to recap, I guess, like, when did you start setting these, these stepping stones in your career or identifying, I want to be a comedy writer? It's interesting. I mean, like, when I worked for Dave, um, I've told this story many times, but I just think it's like, it's really, um, it's a good example of, I think, how things occur to young people and how you can make an opportunity for yourself. So when I worked for Dave, he was really big on sending letters to people. And, um, and that was a huge part of my job. He was really old fashioned guy. And so he would send a letter of thanks or send a letter of encouragement, a letter of condolence, no matter what it was. And they had to be typed on a typewriter, even though computers existed because he was still old fashioned like that computer computer printouts to him looked bad because they were like dot matrix and he was right it didn't look like it looked like a weird robot sending yeah, you yeah, a letter yeah, yeah. and so he wanted them typed and so i was doing that and they were just short sweet letters and um and you know and he's a busy guy so if he has to write a hundred letters it's on me to kind of like flesh it out you know and so that was a big part of my job and then at some point i was like if these letters are coming from you, if the occasion is appropriate, shouldn't they be funny? And he was like, I mean, yeah, I mean, yes, logically, technically, but if they have to really be funny or I'm not going to sign them because like, I can't have you send my name to it. (laughs) Yeah. I can't like be signing (laughs) jokes, like if they're bad jokes or whatever. And I was like, okay, understood. Let me, let me, do some stuff and see what you think. And so I started writing letters with jokes in them that were like in Dave's voice. And then he was like, you know, he would take a red pen and be like, it was like, it was like getting a graduate degree in joke writing because he would, I'd hand him a stack of letters and he'd take a red pen and he'd be like, okay, what you're doing here is called the rule of threes, but you only have two. So you need one more thing to make it complete. Or like, if you don't add one more thing, you have to make the second thing so much stronger that it's so much more of a surprise. And then that way it'll stand on its own or like, see what you did here. You're trying to do this joke. You telegraphed the punchline and the setup. And so you need to cut that or like here, this is a good joke, but you need to put the funniest word at the end. You have to go through and assess every word and determine which is the funniest sounding, most surprising word, and now work a way to make that at the last word, the last thing that's said. So every day was just like a one-on-one lesson of like, here's how to write a joke. Right. (laughs) From David Letterman. Yeah, you know. You know what I mean? Like exactly like you said, it's a masterclass every day. Yeah. How good. So even then, like just even to understand, I guess, the structure of jokes, the different categorization of jokes so this is the rule of three or this is the is that something that you you were aware of already yourself from like college or anything like do as far as just writing goes creative writing I I think I had 
had like done a little bit of reading about things and like, but had watched a massive amount of comedy. And I think that's where, you know, it's funny. You see, you see people use Twitter all the time. Right. And these people haven't like gotten any type of degree in comedy or whatever. And yet someone who is like a school teacher in Idaho will write the funniest tweet that goes viral because it's just like a language that some people like come to understand just like you learn how to speak whatever language is native to your to your homeland you I think people learn to speak comedy and learn those rules even if they're even if they don't like conscientiously know that they're rules so to have someone like name the rules and say this is what you're doing this is what you're doing this is a misdirect this is you know yeah. and um so so that was interesting so at some point yeah i just started writing jokes and like submitting them like monologue jokes and giving them to the guy that was in charge of the monologue the writer that was in charge of the monologue to get his feedback and in both of these cases i want to say like you know i talk a lot about like oh guys white men mediocre white men and like that's all of that is valid and these are like these are valid experiences that i've had as a woman and i will uh you know yeah we can talk about that for years but Dave took the time to mark up letters that I wrote and this writer, Bill Sheft took the time to give me feedback on my monologue jokes. And I think like, a, it was very kind of them and like very, you know, to like use their time to do that. I also think on some level they had to have enjoyed it. Like uh, I don't know specifically why either of them enjoyed it. I had a very, um, just a really nice relationship with Bill Sheft. He was a mentor in every way to me and just like a very safe guy, like a very supportive and safe guy who was like wild about his wife and just, you know, he wasn't a creep ever for one second. And so I just felt safe to run to him with like every silly idea that I ever had. And he always was like, you know, he'd always tell me what he thought and like help me work it out. And, um, yeah. And like Dave was the boss of a, an entire show, the host of an entire show. He's a pretty busy guy. And so while it was super generous of him to, um, you know, to give me like all these lessons on how to write a joke, like I got to think like it also must've scratched some itch for him because, you know, otherwise he would have figured out some way not to do it pretty quickly, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. Well, but I, I got like, the I got the benefit. A hundred percent. And I think um it's it's such a like when you say it like that and you go, well, he must have is something serving him as well and him doing that. Uh, when you you told me the story earlier of how you ended up at Letterman, um, right in the peak between his change from um NBC over to CBS, so moving from 30 Rockefeller to the yeah, Ed Sullivan Theatre. And, um, and you mentioned how they had, when you went for the interview, it was sort of was all messed up and I'll, I'll cut to the original telling of the story as to not butcher your story. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you, you, you tell the story of how after the fact, after he's met you, Dave comes out after a day of these sort of set up fake interviews, he then was like, can you drive stick? 
And the one requirement was you drive a stick and he said, no, that was it. And then when they chose you, you finally asked him why. And he said, I can tell you this. It was your, the girl with the strange name. And people might be listening. Uh, Casey is spelled C-A-I-S-S-I-E um, as opposed to maybe some of the other spellings that you may be familiar with. So, you know, Casey St. Ange, he's um, looking at you saying funny name. And you went, you didn't go to like a big college. You stayed with the state college in your hometown in Massachusetts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, in, you know, he was relatable to that. So would you say then, and you mentioned your shoes in the interview, you know, he said, I like your shoes. And you said they're from TJ Maxx. So the girl with the funny name and the cheap shoes, I think is as you put it. Yeah. That shows a lot of, I think, a lot of humility and a lot of class in Dave, I think, to recognise, not, I don't want to say less fortunate, because maybe less fortunate is an unfair word, but you know, like we people may not have got their shot. And I'm a really big believer having, you know, worked my way through the arts industry and performing industry for so long. One thing that I always found was like, and even just in my general career, people would be like, oh, you don't have the experience. You don't have the experience. And there's that idea of, well, if you don't give me the experience, how the fuck do I get it? Right. Right. And so like once somebody did give me that opportunity for the same reasons, you know, you know, kids like that don't get a break very often, you get the break and look where it leads you. So for Dave to recognize that in yourself and and do so, now do you offer that same, I guess, ideology as a mentor? Do you think that like you can see that, well, if I could create that example again for somebody and be the change or the opportunity for a new, the next generation? Yes. Would you say that's a fair reflection of like the impact that that moment has had on you? Yes, I think he was, I mean, I think he was also being pragmatic because a lot of times in this business, particularly at that time, you know, you're like giving out internships and you're giving them as favors to like a colleague, you know, someone's son or some, yeah, yeah, someone's nephew or whatever. And so, you know, I was, I had this conversation with Tina Fey when, because Tina Fey was, uh, was the, producer of busy tonight and so she's who i met with i mean i was friendly with busy before but tina is who i met with and who like convinced me to take the job and i said like one thing is like and i need you to back me up on this because you are have a have much more um power in this industry than I do is that I know that people are going to come to me on a show like this and say, you have to hire my nephew. You have to hire my niece, my daughter. And I was like, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) I'm not going to do that because they'll all be fine. All those people will be fine. I'm going to hire a certain type of person. And it's not just about, it's not just about getting people that might not have gotten a shot. Although I love that. I love doing that. It's also about like when you're hiring an intern or an assistant and you have a choice between someone that has gone to an Ivy league school or someone who put themselves through a state college delivering pizzas. Yeah. 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 Really? No brainer. Really consider the person that delivered the pizzas because they know how to get a pizza somewhere in 100%. and how to turn in their paper the next day. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? So I think that's where Dave was like, uh, you know, you're, you put yourself through college working nights in a nursing home. 
I worked from 11 at night till seven in the morning. Then I went to college all day long. And then I would like do my homework and take a nap, whichever I had more time for, and then go back to work. And so he would always say like, you know, when I'd be like, oh, I'm pretty proud of myself. I did like a cool thing today. And he'd be like, well, you know, you only have one job now. So like, it's, you know, must be so easy to just do your one job and like, really dazzle yourself, you know, but that's, it's true. Like when someone gave me a shot to just like live under kind of normal circumstances and focus and, you know, but I knew, you know, I knew how to get stuff done. Cause I actually worked in a job where people's lives depended on me doing my job well as a teenager, you know, which is kind of wild when you think about it, but like, that's not something that someone just walking out of Princeton might necessarily have. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Huge perspectives. Huge. So with the, uh, I guess like working in a nursing home and then how long did you do that for or have multiple sort of, I guess, facets to your, your job or your day where you were having to hustle like that before it became more normal like okay is there more structure around this we're moving to new york where yeah i mean i worked nights in the nursing home the entire time i was in college and i was in college for three years uh because i graduated early um so i i worked full-time nights uh, in the nursing home. Is that what you call it in Australia? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A nursing home. I know they call it different things in different places. Um, <laughs> I, so I worked full-time nights in the nursing home and went to school and I finished college in three years um, because I took extra classes and, you know, every chance. Yeah. And I went all over the summers. Like I went to college full-time. I didn't take any breaks. Yeah. And yeah, so I graduated early and I graduated younger and I already was like, a little younger than most people in my grade. So yeah, so I graduated, how old was I? When I was like 21 or something, like right. a little over 21 years old. Um, and uh, and most people are over 22 when they graduate. So um, yeah, so I did that. So then one of the reasons I was doing that and one of the reasons I was working full-time was to save money so that I could move to New York and just because back then internships didn't pay anything either. You just went. So I I think I saved like, I don't know, like $6,000 to like go to New York and live off of and pay my half of the rent and, you know, eat rice and beans and then went figure out what I was going to do when it was over. It's so um, like that picture that you paint of New York and that lifestyle, like it's a little apartment, it's rice and beans. I've just got to make ends meet here, but it's for the the gig, isn't it? Like the love of this is, this is the industry. Yeah. This is what we're doing to get yeah. our foot in the door. The way that you described um, the letters and the typewriter earlier, I find that really um, funny in the sense of I had a bit of dealings with uh, some of the the licensing houses in New York for Broadway for musicals and such. So I spent a bit of time yeah. there in 2011, and I'll never forget one of the one of the letters I got from uh, Thames Whitmark's library was this hand typed, like this is 2011, yeah, 2010 2011, okay. but it's like this hand typed typewriter letter that you could only post back. So like everything we were doing everything on on email for like the year before with other musicals and stuff we were producing. Yeah. But as soon as I had to deal with Thames Whitmark, I got this 
this sort of like snail mail, we call it like back in the old post. Yes. Yes. But we were posting things back and forth. And when I went to meet with them in New York, again, like I just found the whole, um, you mentioned the word old fashioned. It feels very old fashioned, but that feels like the panache of it. That feels like that's what it has to be. Like almost like I would have almost been disappointed if I walked into a, a brand new sleek minimalist office as opposed right. to walking into like teak mahogany leather chairs. Like I yeah. feel like I'm in a New York musical Broadway office in the thirties. Like, do you know what I mean? Yes, like, yes. I feel like, like I, would... I don't know. Like, and I guess for, yeah, like we mentioned, like Dave just feels old fashioned, like the idea of writing a letter, like it is so personal and so lovely. And again, like just such a nice thing with, um, Let's move away from Dave. I don't want to talk about Dave. I want to talk about you. <laughs> <laughs> Forget him. Um, when you're writing these jokes and yeah. starting to really craft, you know, in, in Dave's voice, but you're, you're crafting the comedy here, how do you know that you're funny? You know, it's, it's interesting in that... I want to say this in a nice way because sometimes I can say things in just a very true way and then I sound like a giant jerk and I don't want to sound life. like a giant <laughs> I don't want to sound like a giant jerk but it's like um jokes first of all are kind of like algebra like they have parts to the equation that need to be there to make it add up in the end and once you know how to do that and you know the different types of equations that you can make then you can get inventive and try to find a new formula but it's always got to add up in some way so it's very much like math which I love math I love I'm that. good at math I love you know uh I was I was a good math student and so that feels like a very comfortable spot for me and then when one of the things that Dave told me early on and and later when I worked for Rosie she reiterated and I think it's it's fairly obvious and yet I still needed to be told this just like everyone else. It doesn't matter how funny you are personally, if you're not writing in the voice of the person that you're writing for. And so that kind of means that like, it doesn't necessarily have to like be the funniest to you. As long as it's like, I guess today we'd say it's on brand, you know, like it's on brand for Dave to say this, this is in his wheelhouse. This is a very, like, it wouldn't do me a lot of good to write jokes in my own voice and then try to hand them to Dave and have him be like, what, this is like jokes for like a 21 year old girl, what is happening, you know? So you have to really consider the voice that you're trying to convey. That being said, one of the challenges is to then bring a little bit of yourself into it so that you can bring something fresh to the table Mm -hmm. and you can maybe encourage your host who's probably been at this for a long time or whoever you're writing for, to, you know, to move in a new direction, to move in a new, I mean, that's like, that's what Hacks is all about, right? It's about right. a young person telling this older performer, like, we got to go in this direction, it'll be good for you. And so everybody has to evolve a little bit. So it's not necessarily like um, a case of like me finding something hilarious. There have been actually, I mean, it's it's not uncommon for me to write something that I'll be, I'll just say like, I know this will work for that audience where I'm not necessarily the audience, but I, 
deeply love and respect that audience. And that's why I think like I've got it. Like, I think I get a handle on, on what they like. Um, but it's much more rare for me to be like delighted to death with what I'm writing because it's so, 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 so funny to me. Yeah. But so, you know, so there's that, but then also like, you know, when I'm just like writing stuff on Twitter or whatever, I'm like, well, if this is funny to me, it'll be funny to someone, you know, like, because there are people out there that share like my sense of humor but so yeah that's it's just like um it's just a balance that you have to ride between like writing for the person's voice that you're writing for bringing a little bit of yourself to it so that you're so that you're like an asset to that person you know um while also you know not being precious about things and you know so yeah so that's it and I think like as much as I love to think of myself as like a competent and joyful joke writer, I think that my real superpower is like getting someone's voice or getting what they need, you know? Totally, totally. Like totally. I think that's my that's my real, real strength as a writer is like I think that I can come in even to somebody that hasn't like that doesn't even have a show yet and say, Oh, I, I think this is what you are. And this is what yes, we should. Do. Yes. Yeah. No? Yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I feel exactly the same way. Like that's a, that's a superpower that I share with you. That's definitely yeah. like the, the people have said, you know, how do you do that? But it's about being able to hear that person and reflect back to them in yes. a way that they then can understand and yes. start putting measures in place. I love that. I'm always like, I'm always the fact, totem is that the right word i don't know if that's the right word i shouldn't have tried to use such a big word no i loved it and i feel like it was that (laughs) i'm always the historian in a situation like on a show i'm always the person that is like he never says this she always says this she loves this he doesn't like this you know and i know all of that like and i i have a a pretty good memory for that kind of thing to be like the historian or like the like holding the canon of the person but then i think also because i pay very very close attention to a person oh this is like this is going like a little deep but I think I can see like areas that are like painful for them. I can see areas that are like fearful for them and like use it in a way sometimes to protect them if I can, if that's necessary, but also sometimes use it in a way to like explore a little something that's like, you know, like if it works, if you can like push on that pain a little bit and it works, Mm -hmm. like all of a sudden that is a joke with way more depth than something uh, that I could have written if I didn't look so closely at a person. And 100%. so that's that's what I think. And I, I would love to tell you that that's like something that someone told me to do and I picked up along the way, but I think I'm just like that. I think I'm just nosy and pay super, super <laughs> close attention to oh, yeah. I think it's funny that you say you refer to it as nosy. I wouldn't say nosy, detailed, <laughs> but the... Um, there's so many things there. And like, even as you just say, like everything you've just said, that ability for any human being, I think, to connect, understand, tri- I don't want to say trivialize, but almost trivialize it back to that person. Yeah. Exploit it. Exploit yeah. it. And then the only point that I sort of clicked back into gear was when you said, 
it'll make it funnier. And then I remembered that not only are we talking about comedy writing, but would you then say it's a fair application for that superpower of yours beyond writing that allows you to understand people generally yeah, and or help them through, you know, that, that sort of push on the pain if it works, that might not only make a joke funny, but that could actually help with a really big blockage of something, um, be that mentally, energetically, cosmically. I'm happy to go as deep as you want. Um, <laughs> but, like, it's, yeah, I, you know, I, I think, think that's, that. that's a real gift. Like, I feel like that's a real gift when you can see areas in a person without even saying their life, but in a person, you can see areas of strength, weakness, vulnerability, and then the ability for you to see that, capture that, use that with them to embellish or enhance their strengths or weaknesses or work through them. I think that's such a gift. Like it's such a powerful, powerful thing. Yeah, I think it's because I think people are always, and, you know, and maybe this is just because of like, well, I was... I am an only child and I spent a lot, a lot of time alone. So maybe that's why I'm observant in like when I get the opportunity to be around other people, because I really do love to be around other people. And so it, I grew up with it being like a treat to be around yeah. like literally anyone, you know, like, like members of my family or just whoever. And so I always treated it like a, like a treat and like a party. And I think that, and you know, but also like my upbringing had a lot of pain in it. Like my parents had a lot of pain in their lives and my family, my bigger family. And I think that, so that's where I learned that like pain can be transformed into something beautiful, something funny, something that is a relief, something, you know, pain can often like, you know, people say what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I don't know that that's necessarily true. I don't think things should go around trying to kill you. I think like whatever doesn't kill you, you're lucky, but you're also probably injured. But I will say that the pain, the trauma that you take from those things, you can, when the time is right, transform it into something wonderful that, that, you know, takes you to another place that you deserve to be after you've lived through, through all of this. And so I think that everybody has trauma. Everyone has pain. Um, and you know, it's funny because I, busy and I have talked about this before about like how sometimes people really get into like comparing trauma and pain and saying like, well, what happened to that person wasn't as bad as what mm -hmm. happened to that person. I'm like, it's not like, not only is it not a contest, but it's like, it's not comparable because the two people are different. Person and so it only matters the level of trauma and pain to that, that person. person. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And so I think that I'm looking at everyone saying like, you know, People are telling you all the time, like what they need, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's like by not telling you anything at all or by whatever. And all you have to do is like decode it and figure it out. And like, and so many people are worthy of being given the thing that they're trying to tell you that they need. Yes. And, yes. and very often it's a simple thing. Like it's a simple thing. Like I want to 
be like, I want people to laugh at me because I'm trying to be funny because that's the way that I'm expressing. That's so easy. It's literally free. And like, it's also a gift for me, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> people just want to be heard. That's a huge lesson from Andy Cohen. He would always say, sometimes people just want to be heard. Sometimes you just have to hear someone out without interrupting them. You just have to hear them out and that's it. That's all they want. They don't want anything else from you. They just mm-hmm. want to be heard. And, you know, people want to be heard. They want to be seen. They want to know that they're not the only one, whether it's like, you know, whether they're not the only one that has like a snoring problem, if that's their specific thing, <laughs> or they're going through like infertility or whatever, like financial insecurity, anything, the loss of a loved one, anything. These are really There are so many things that are so universal in our lives, so many experiences that somehow manage to make us feel so individual and so all alone. And like, it's really weird because it's like, you know, like so many people have gone through what you've gone through, but the way, I don't know, the way that we try to manage those things is by like isolating ourselves or sometimes we're isolated by other circumstances. So I guess like, I kind of feel like that's my calling maybe in life. I don't know. is to just like, whatever it is I'm doing, if I was baking cupcakes or if I'm writing jokes or doing a podcast or whatever it is that I'm doing, um, is to just, be to make people feel like I see them and like I get it and I hear them and I think that's why the podcast like what you were saying about like different perspectives especially you know when Shantara was on the show like I think that's why it worked right from the jump is because we were just like seeing each other and being like a hundred percent a hundred percent and tell me it's true it's true yes and I think that that is something that is people just don't seem to do that too often these days. Like, why can't we just assume that everyone is being truthful? Do you know what I mean? Like everyone feels like someone's got a hidden agenda or like, well, this is about me or like, well, no, like it, and it comes back to, like you said, that comparing trauma where it's like, just let them be like they, that that's their experience. Yeah. They're saying it's it's true. It's true. Like if you don't believe it or not, it's still true to that person. Yeah, it's such a strange thing to me. And um, it just, it says so much about people, right? That just like, yes. And I think, yeah, you said it when you were like, isn't it funny how like these, these things that happen universally, universal experiences that then make us feel segregated or make us feel isolated or make us feel so individual, but we all, it's, it's just an, is it an, is it an awareness thing? Do you think like as a, collective like we know that each of us are going through it yet we still choose to almost like not believe it because then we're like well I I don't want to take on those people's problems or I don't want to give my I don't you know what I mean it's almost too overwhelming that we can't move I think it's a couple different things I think there's like okay so when you're talking about people people have identities and those are fairly you know they're permanent they're not even fairly permanent. They're fairly permanent. They're permanent for the time that you're alive, your identity, who you are, who you essentially are. And all anyone's doing whenever their identity changes is all they're doing is that they're 
coming to like accept their own identity. To me, they're meeting their destiny. Yes, 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 bit by bit, peeling away those layers and becoming more the authentic version of themselves. Yes. Do you think that's then because when we we look at like, and and this will often happen for some people later in life or just, you know, it can happen at any point really, depending on your wiring, your mindset, what's what's being presented to you as well as a child makes a huge difference, obviously. But like, is that harder to do early on because of all of the constructed, the construction of the world in every way, like everything that is a construction, like, you know, time is a construct. So we have to accept time as a construct, I understand. <laughs> but, you know, money, the patriarchy, the business ideas, like the thinking of like business methodology and ethics and morality and all these things that like now we're in such a different space in such a short amount of time as a as a collective as a globe yeah that you know finally we're seeing lgbtqr uh, you know plus communities being recognized legally we're seeing um you know adoption being a, a more realistic and ivf a possibility for same-sex couples or single parents or anything we're seeing a lot more opportunity for women in the workplace we're seeing a lot more of this calling out of well that's shit behavior from men in particular um and women like it happens both ways but predominantly men no no hiding the fact (laughs) there at all um you know racism even just casual racism like we're, we're calling it out much more so that do you think that this idea of i guess being more yourself as an individual for generations to come will be a much more inherent experience whereas perhaps we've still grown up through a time where there have been shames and stigmas around certain things or aspects of our lives that then isolate us and also just culturally they're not talked about until now like we are now being the voice for so many of these these things mental health issues you know equality issues etc etc the list goes on well, that's that's what's so wonderful about like you and I are talking over Zoom right now. That's a technology that like we probably never dreamed would exist or yeah. we like saw it in science fiction when we were little kids. It's the beauty and the curse of the Internet is that I think the reason people are appear to be finding their identities or being able to embrace their identities um, in a way that didn't used to be the case is because they're, they're not alone in the way that they probably felt. Because yeah. when you think race is, is a special case of identity because you carry your race with you. Mm-hmm. There's no, you know, with, with little exception, there's no hiding your race And so if someone is not accepting of your race, which is a moral failing on their part, Mm -hmm. but there's not a lot that you can, there's not a lot that you can do to try to, you just need to protect your, yourself. yourself, And at at that point, and particularly historically, and we, our countries have done a poor job of protecting people of different races from people that um, would do them harm. Other things like gender identity, sexuality, um, you know, those are things that like 
are private. They can be kept private if you should so desire. And so I think in my experience growing up, I knew a lot of kids that were probably queer, gay, trans, you know, or curious, wondering if that's who they were, if that's what their identity was, but also probably not knowing, like, how do you even, how do you even, how do you have that conversation? Right. That's what I always wonder about, like, just thinking back to like friends of mine who came out in their teenage years and just thinking like how brave that was of them, because like, it just wasn't like, it wasn't a big conversation that people were having. So I know that a lot of friends of mine came out to their parents, not even having one inkling yeah. other than like knowing their parents' character, how their parents were going to react, what their parents' feelings. And I know for a fact that I had friends that got a different result coming out to their parents than they expected. You mm-hmm. know, obviously mm-hmm. like a lot of kids probably feared the worst and hopefully it it came out better. But I also know kids that feared the worst in coming out. Got the best result. Yeah. Got the best. But I also know kids that feared the worst and got worse than that. You know what I mean? And like, so, so those are things that like now we have the internet and while the internet can be such a cesspool, it really can. (laughs) And it can be a way to like spread hate if that's what you want to do it's also a way for people to be like you know what in this town that i live in i don't know any other kids that are like me but there are ways to find people who are like me and so i think that the idea that you're alone in something is i hope i hope the idea that you're the only person like you on earth um is you know or that you shares some identity or whatever it is that you're worried about that there's no one else like you or that no one would understand you i hope that that's a lot more rare than it was when we were little kids i hope that that is true and also we use the internet to like you know before if someone acted like a fool in your town and was like anti-gay or racist whatever you just know that person as like the racist person in your town yeah, or like, just don't when you walk past that house just yeah, walk past the town <laughs> exactly <laughs> the town homophobe, like don't trick or treat there yeah, but now correct. it's like, different if someone acts foolish like on you know at a town hall meeting that video goes viral and then yeah. everyone knows and so these are conversations that we're having um all the time and and so my hope is that like the goodness wins out and that we just, you know, that that people that might have felt more alone in the past feel less alone because yeah. feeling alone is like it's just I don't know. I think that like it, it's just my gut, but I think that there's also science that backs it up that like the secret to like surviving any type of challenge in your life is to feel like you have someone that has your back. Hope. Hope. Yes. Hope is the most powerful thing. Yeah. Wow. That's this like beautifully articulated. And and it's so true. Like as far as this, and the internet is such a double-edged sword 
because whilst it allows that level of, I guess, authentic connection, if you are so lucky to be like, hey, I don't know anybody like me, but you find someone and you have that connection, then it also brings that bullshit side of the internet where you've got catfish and people who are just willing, you know, out there to to spread hate or, like you said, you know, malintentions. Um, With, like, all of that, I guess, like a belief system of just the goodness in people and even uh, the way that I'm not going to speak on your behalf, but from how I, that's a shit sentence. I'm not going to speak on your behalf, but I said, <laughs> but um, from how like you describe the, your idea and thinking of people and how we work together, live together harmoniously. How has that played throughout your career or your life to this point? Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, like, I learned how to write a joke from Dave. I learned how to make comedy specifically for the people that you were making it for from Rosie O'Donnell. Because she was a woman. She was not traditionally, like, thin, blonde actress. She was gay. And so she had all of these areas that informed her comedy, but also she had this giant heart where she wanted to do things for people. She wanted to use her platform before we even knew the word platform. She wanted to use her platform (laughs) to like sort of correct all of these pain points that she'd experienced as a kid. So to like shine a light on kids that loved theater and to raise money to send kids to college that wouldn't be going otherwise and to highlight people in unsung jobs, nurses and teachers and stay-at-home moms and librarians and what have you, you know, and 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 also yeah, to bring theater into every living room in the United States, 6 million homes, you know, we're, we're watching that show, um, on a successful day and seeing Broadway and, you know, people that would never have the money to fly to New York city and see a Broadway show were treated to like the, a top notch Broadway performance. And so she was, Like people loved Dave and Dave had fans. But when I worked for Rosie, I saw I saw kids like coming up being like, this is making me again, making me feel seen, making me feel like I'm not an alien in my town and, uh, you know, and giving me hope that there is somewhere where I belong and that I will get there one day, you know? And so that was a thing that I saw over and over. And that was her seeing people figuring out what they needed and also being like, you know, these are, she was going off of, these are the things that I needed that I never got. Let's give it to people, you know? And like how joyful that could be because comedy takes away a lot, you know, comedy at the expense of someone. And like, I love a good joke about, you know, whatever. Like I love a good burn. I love a good roast of someone, but comedy can really take away from people. It can, it's, you know, you can use it to cut someone down. And we talk about punching up where you punch up to something more powerful than you to bring it down to size. 
But Rosie wielded comedy in a way that it was giving so much to people. And um, and she came at that show from a place of love, like just love, love, love. And um, and so I say now, like I always my husband and I talk about it all the time, like people only do things for one of two reasons, because of love or because of fear. And, you know, and whenever anyone's doing anything because of fear, it goes off the rails. It's not great. So you have to try to make sure you're doing everything from love all the time if you want it not to go sour and you don't want it to go south. And uh, Rosie just did that whole show from love. And so that's what I learned, that it was possible to do what you loved, to make people laugh, to give them something like more than not just presents, although there were a lot of presents and checks and things like that, but to like look into them and see like, this is, you know, this is what you need. You need to know that there are like guys on Broadway that, you know, sing and dance and you can do that too, or you can come live here and go see it if that's what you want, you know, but that's, she brought a whole world to like, I still see, I don't, do you follow Danny Pellegrino on Instagram? Yes, yes. yes. I mean, whenever Danny posts an old clip of Rosie and talks about like what it meant to him as a kid to have that show. One time I did like an improv show. Um, the first time I ever used zoom, to be honest, I was doing like an improv show that was based on like stories from your life, whatever. And the first time I ever used zoom was to like meet with this improv group that was going to like act in the show. And, um, when, you know, the person that like had roped me into doing the show just gave everyone like, here's the strokes, here's her resume or whatever. And like six of the eight people on the, on the zoom started crying when she said, oh, she was a writer for the Rosie O'Donnell show. And like, like yeah. 75% of people of a certain age started crying saying like that show meant so much to me. I raced home from school every day to watch it with my mom. Yeah. And like, that's different. Like what Dave was doing was great, but what Rosie was doing was different in a totally. way that I wanted to be different. And so, yeah, so that's, I, that's a very long answer to whatever question we were talking no, about. No, no, it's, Perfect. As far as understanding like the heart tour and, and where it came into play and how that impacted you. You know, it's something that we said earlier about moments of impact. They're very important. The yeah. um, With like the idea then, given that you started at, and we have like Joan Rivers is another, you know, wonderful one, one of my favorite episodes of uh, this year's podcast of yours was your lost tape that you found with the interview that you did with Joan Rivers. And yeah. again, the, the, there's a lot of heart to it. I, I, you know what I mean? Like, and that comes through in your questioning of her and even just the recounting of the times that you had spent with her. Like that's a, that's a really lovely thing. The heart is so important. Yeah. When you look at your um, career now, Casey, and given that you started there and, and, with I guess icons I don't want to say there because that's still the top and you I love it what has been the biggest shift in your idea of what you thought was success in air bunnies what was <laughs> success versus what the reality was and when did you realize well this is your own success yeah I mean I think that 
you know, television is ephemeral and I've worked in the most ephemeral type of television, daily comedy. Like it's, it's great the day that it's there, but like not a lot of it is being revisited or like preserved. Like I do worry about the Rosie show just being forgotten in a lot of, like we just had our 25th anniversary, 25th anniversary of the premiere um, this year. And I do worry that it's not being preserved and like relived in the way that I think it deserves to be. Yeah. 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 Um, and like, you know, like Letterman made five hours of TV per week, 40 weeks a year. That's over how many years? Yeah. That's so many thousands of hours that like, you know, you know, the, the like a hundred famous clips from that show, but the rest of it is just ephemeral, you know? And so just not being precious about things. Um, but also on the other hand, like I've reached a point, there was a time in my life when I would like work on anything and just like, I just wanted to be involved and I would work on anything. And now I think success is a little bit being like, Hey, this isn't really like the kind of thing that I do or that I like to do. So I'm going to not do it. I don't need to do it. You know, and it's I'm not even talking about like financially or whatever, because like I could use the money. Believe me, I just mean like I don't need to do it spiritually. Like my soul doesn't need to do 100 percent. I used to tell students of mine and even now clients, um, I'm trying to think of who told it to me. It was one of two people who uh, come to mind, but they always said it's got to serve two out of three things. It's got to serve your heart, your bank or the creative. So if it's like, you know, we're not going to get paid a lot, but it offers the creative and it's fulfilling my soul and making me feel good, let's do it. Or if it's bank and heart or whatever, but two out of three things it had to be. And like, it's funny because now, yeah, I think so. And, and, you know, I think that's also just a trap that a lot of young players get fall into is like, I just want to do everything because there is that idea, isn't there? And, And I know I've said it to people that I've mentored. I've had it from my mentors where they are just like, Take every opportunity that you can get. And I think that there is a time and a place for that early in the career or like, yes, like when you're doing the internship or trying to work your way up through any industry or even just personal development, like any anything that presents itself, take those opportunities when you can. But then I think once you get to that point where you've found your cadence, you know your strengths, you know yourself, you know whatever it is you're doing, the ability to say, no, that's not for me, for my own preservation it's such a huge, huge thing. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. I always tell people like take anything, take any opportunity the first time, but then after that, once you've gotten some experience, like if there's no choice, take the one thing you need to live. But if you're getting to a point where there are choices, start taking the things that are bringing you closer to what it is that you know you want to do and stop, you know, that's not the time to make choices on well, like this one pays $10 more an hour. Like when you can start moving toward what it is you want to do when there's a choice, do that. And when there's no choice, you know, you do what everyone does to survive. But, you know, as far as like what I consider success, uh, like now, 
you know, it's nice to work. I love to work. I love when like I have an idea and people want to do it. That's super cool. I love working with young talent. I love working with untested talent. I love working with talent that is um, stale and people have given up on and, um, and I'm like, no, I know you can do it. I know you've got it. Like, let's, let's figure it out. I love all of that stuff. But also we talked about that. I'm a Prince super fan. I did have this like epiphany one time walking through the Minneapolis airport. I was going to Duluth because I um, go to Duluth sometimes Duluth, Minnesota to, uh, to do this like content festival. Um, Hey, shout out catalyst content festival. Um, but I was walking through the Minneapolis airport and I was thinking to myself, like I do, cause I'm a kook. I was thinking like, wow, it's so cool. You were walking through the halls of an airport that your idol Prince walked through, <laughs> like it. feel that energy, feel it. And like, really like you're breathing the same air that he breathed, whatever, whatever. And I was really like gassing myself up to like give myself a good case of goosebumps. And then I had a little bit of an epiphany. Like he was and remains such a star to me. But then I was like, what if I was this hype about being in the same space with anyone in my life? Like anyone of any importance. Yeah. In a moment. And just being like, holy shit, I'm in the same room as you. Like, what if I thought that about my husband? Like, oh my God, this is the house that I share with my husband. I love this. Yeah, absolutely. Or like, you know, oh my God, I'm on a Zoom with Vinny. (laughs) And, you know, and we're talking and like, holy shit, that's amazing. Like this person took time out of their life to talk to me. And, you know, and I just think that it serves me well. And again, this is something that like, Prince mentioned in his songs many times, like you're a star, you know? And so I think like everybody kind of is a star, like with, you know, again, with little exception, everyone is trying to do something and everyone that I come into contact with knock on wood and lucky for me is someone who's like, trying to do something and they're trying to do good. And so like, all I need to do is recognize that and like reflect that back to them. Like I see the good you're trying to do. I see it. And like, are you having a problem doing the good that you want to do? Is there anything that I can see for you and tell you like, this is what I see. Here's what's tripping you up. Here's, you know, or here's what I can help you with or whatever you know, then that's just the way that I want to, and it, it, it doesn't apply to everyone. Like, obviously there are terrible people in the world that aren't stars, but, but I'm yeah, just, but like, you're not going to mix with them as well, because they're not going to come into your vibration. They're not going to be pulled into your network. Like it's, you know, like attracts like in that sense, like you said, you see the good and you reflect it back. I think that's so, so evident. And one of the things that you actually said earlier, which is going to come beautifully full circle here, <laughs> you mentioned your internship interview where Dave said to you, cool shoes. And you said, oh, thanks to TJ Maxx. In Shantira's interview to come and work on Busy Tonight, she wore a hat 
And you yeah. said, and you told this story, I think in like episode one or something of the podcast is way back. And th- that's what pinged in my mind. As soon as you said about Dave and the shoes and him noticing it, you noticed Chantira's hat and you said, oh, when someone's got cool style or cool fashion, like I want to call it out and just say like, hey, cool hat, because that might make her entire day, which it did. Yeah. yeah. But that was also something that you remembered and pinged in your mind. Again, like, would you say, is that a fair opportunity for you to be like, wow, that's a reflection of what happened to you versus then what you've then created in your life with Shantira. Like you've reflected another moment that you've encountered with Dave and the shoes, it's Shantira and the hat. And again, you just put that back out. How big for you is you get what you put out? Yeah, it's really, it's a big deal. Like the thing with Shantira was, it's so funny I had seen her down on the plaza, like when I went to go get a coffee or something. And I was like, that person looks so cool. And I almost said like, Hey, you look so cool. Uh, But then I stopped myself because I was like, that's so weird. You can't just like accost people. But anyway, I didn't realize then like a couple minutes later, she was coming up and she was the person that we were interviewing. And I was like, okay, so it's meant for me to tell you that like I just saw you down on the plaza and thought you looked so cool and here you are you look cool I love your style um I think it's so important to yeah you gotta like you if you want to get anything you gotta put something out there and I'm not even saying like I'm it doesn't even have to be specific but I just like I had such a shitty day the other day it wasn't it was just like I don't want to say shitty it was just a blah day where I was like I don't have anything going on I don't have like any ambition to do much of anything and like I just felt like you know just one of those days it wasn't like a beautiful weather day and I don't know but anyway I was like here's what I'm gonna do I'm just gonna send three texts to like people and just say like Hey, hi, how's it going? I haven't talked to you in a little bit. I'm just saying hi or whatever. And then like, if one person answers me back, then that's great. Then like, you know, that's just like one interaction that I'll have today and it'll feel like an accomplishment. And, and like I said, like everyone that I would be doing that to is someone that I would feel lucky to be talking to anyway. And so like, you know, sure enough, like within seconds, one person wrote back and they were like, oh, I've been meaning to like ask you to get lunch, but like I'm actually going to breakfast with another friend, but do you want to come to breakfast on Friday? And I was like, and that's ordinarily the kind of thing that like maybe in the past I would have been like, oh, maybe. And then like found some reason not to do it. But I was like, I'm going to get my ass up and go to breakfast. And like, and as a result of that, just as a result of like casting my line out in a minute where I felt like this isn't a great day and this isn't a productive day. Today I had a good day because today was that breakfast and that's how that day started. And I got to talk with my friends and see people I hadn't seen in a while. And that like, particularly now, like after we've all spent two years locked in our homes, you know, um, is like, I'm going to take advantage of that while I can. And, um, and also it just, it does wonders. It does like miracles for, for you. And, you know, so I don't mean it to like sound like, Oh, every day I have is great. That's certainly not the case, but 
I do know that I have the power to like potentially turn it around if I so choose. 100%. And like, I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I wallow in it. Everybody oh my God. I was just going to say the exact same <laughs> thing. Like I, I a hundred percent and I, okay. So I've got like, I don't want to create more questions because I don't want to <laughs> take up too much more time of yours, but the idea of like, when you have those days, I think we, we often fall into the trap of like feeling bad about it like I shouldn't be doing I should be doing something else get this guilt of like I, I should be doing something else how important though now is it to sometimes not wallow in it but really just listen to your body your emotions your energy on the day like I know for myself I could be on a deadline and by hook or by crook like I'm dying and nothing is coming out of me as a writer or a producer or whatever I'm doing and I might have to be like, I just have to listen to what I'm feeling right now, my body or, you know, the, the mental state. And it's, I need to go and be away or just isolate or whatever. And then it will come through. So how important is it for you to listen to those days and, and you know, not pretend like not for yourself, but just generally anybody, not pretend that every day is perfect and full of energy and go get her. Like, that's just not realistic as well like some people yes you can maintain it but there is days where you need to slow down yeah I mean well going back to Shantira like you know I'd always be the type of person to be like oh I should be doing this I should be doing that and one time I said I should I should be doing this to Shantira and she was like the only thing you have to do is be alive and then one day die <laughs> yeah know? true true everything else like, in between is up for negotiation anything else is a choice and yeah. like you're your own boss and so like everything's a choice there aren't mistakes um you know and and so sometimes like i do within reason like blow off something that doesn't need to be done right away knowing that like oh maybe i'll have to like work under pressure to get this done or whatever yeah. later, you know, because I have responsibilities, but also like, as I've gotten older, I'm like, this isn't life or death, you know? Totally, and totally, like, totally. and like, I'm always very accepting when people are flexible, ask me to be flexible. So like, I'm, I, it's possible that I could ask for flexibility and, and people will be, so much more fine with it than I'd ever imagined. And then like, there are times when you have to like buckle down and get something done, but it does help to think like, this isn't life or death, what we're doing. And like, and I'm not saying it's not important. People tell me all the time what we do is important to them and, and it makes their day better and it brings them happiness and, you know, they feel companionship. And so I know it's important, but nobody is going to die if we take like a week off of the podcast or if we, you know, or if I take an extra hour to get some jokes to them or whatever, mm. or, you know, so that is like a very gratifying feeling. And also like, yeah, I'm my own boss. Like, do I wish, uh, I worked for a more successful boss sometimes? Yes. Like successful in bunny ears, as you said, but like the, it's very successful to be able to say like, I'm doing this and I'm not really going to do that. It's not for me. Like that is also it. You can't put that in the bank, but it's not without value. 100%. 100%. And it's that separation of value financial versus the value that you hold yeah. for, for anything internally. 
Yeah. And it's like, you know, so many, so how many times have you been like just sitting around like agitated, you know, you're supposed to do something. And then like after sitting around for like five hours where you just fretted over it, you finally bang it out in the last hour. Story of my life, Casey. That's it's everything I've ever done since high school, (laughs) university. Like I just, even with like now I'm a meticulous planner, but even within that plan, I know that my flow of energy and my process and the way that I do things. And especially just since becoming a parent, my anxiety is another level now of like new anxiety. But like when that also comes into play, I do. Yeah. Fret. And it's just that hesitation anxiety where I'm stuck and I can't move worrying about it. But then when you get to like, okay, the 11th hour, we got to go. I am clear as day and put out my best work. Like I'll never forget writing one of my final pieces for like university it was due at something like 8am that morning. And I started it at 4.30am. It was on digital copyright at the time. And I remember explicitly downloading illegally while writing about digital copyright and writing this like last final assignment, but in the last three hours, but I've had months to do it, but did it all in three hours, but there's just, and look, it does work for some people. I'm not saying go out and do that methodology, but you know, um, you can, it just becomes that ability, I think, to cut through yeah. and, and, and move and, and move with your confidence of, I know what I can do. I know how right. I can operate. Right. And then I think also, like you said about how the people, sometimes you can, you can just go into, to do things for others or like, do you want to do this or do that? The choice to take them on, I think is so important, but then the understanding that sometimes other people's urgency is not your emergency. Right. Right. Like I find that that's something that often would, you know, just be like, I need this right now, like this. And then everybody drops everything for what they're doing to the detriment of themselves, let themselves go and not be seen or be heard. And then they're the ones suffering in the long run. Well, I think with age and experience and, and I hope that everyone that can identify with what you and I are saying about like, you know, maybe like fretting for so long before you actually like get down to the nitty gritty and like do the work is that like at some point you get to know yourself a little bit and you know, like this isn't a month long task. Yeah. This is an eight hour task Mm -hmm. that I am, that I know about for a month. So rather than beating myself up every spare moment that I have when I'm not doing this thing, Let me just enjoy that, knowing that when the time comes, I will take those eight hours and do this thing and I will bang it out and do it well. And like getting to know yourself and know while also like admitting like to yourself, like that you're capable and that you know yourself, you know how you work and what it will take to do the job right. Yeah. And if you're honest about that, then there really is no, you know, it's the same as like, have you ever had a boss that is kind of like watching you and like watching to see if you leave right at five o'clock and you're like, yeah, I'm done. Yeah. Like, you know, and you feel, and you're just like, sometimes we are like that boss to ourselves where we're like, Oh, you're not working. You're not working. And it's just like, yeah, because like, it's not the time to work on that or like hundred percent. That's the best way to put it. Be that boss. Like we'd be the boss to ourselves. The boss that we yeah. hate. We are the boss that we hate to ourselves. 
So it's just like, it's just a matter of like giving yourself permission not to waste your own time beating yourself up about something that's just not happening right yeah. then because you know the important part that you're going to get something done. Or I suppose you could like use the first eight hours of the month to do something if you do that. Yeah. yeah um, yeah. then that's great. And then you can enjoy the rest of the month. But I'm just saying like, we have to know that we know ourselves that certain things, when I worked at watch what happens live, like I had it so down to a science, exactly how many minutes, hours, everything would take me. Yeah just to like fully schedule my day. And I was really honest with myself about just, and it was helpful in that job to say to Andy, like that's going to take four hours, what you're asking for. It will, you know, just, and he was the best because he had done, he'd worked behind the scenes. So he knew that if I said something was going to take four hours that I knew my shit and that that's how long it was going to take, you know? Yeah. And so just like knowing yourself and also like giving yourself credit for the fact that a lot of the work that you're doing when you're talking about something creative is interior work. It's like sometimes you can be like goofing off and taking showers and watching movies and everything. And you're like, you have interior work happening in your mind. That's yeah, like yeah, laying yeah. the groundwork that you're going to apply to this thing. And then also sometimes you just have to like stare at a wall, you know? 100%. 100%. Unfortunately, that's where I've been for like the last two <laughs> days. I've just found, I've had just the biggest sort of week, which has been great. And I think I know I've, I've got holidays coming up in three weeks. Yeah. So my brain for the last two days, I have been personally going through that, like a wake up, smash out the morning with such clear intention. But once I hit like 11, my brain is like a fog and I've just had to be like, I need to just sit or pace or just listen to five different artists very quickly. Like I, I know when I'm in that phase, when I flick yeah. music, if I yeah. can't land on an album or a mood or a playlist that is vibing, that's yeah. when I'm really, I'm really not there. Yeah. I think we, I think we, um, we have to give ourselves credit for like, even if we can't exactly put our finger on something, you have to give yourself credit because I think when you're like, if you're frittering away time in a way that's unhealthy, you feel that. It's the same as like if yes. you were just to eat candy, Correct. you would eventually start to feel like this isn't the best for me. So when this you go back to like awareness, exactly. Uh, and, and you said it's about like the awareness of like knowing yourself enough. There's the other side of that, which is knowing the, the shadow parts or the darker parts that you dislike about yourself and that's okay too, like embracing yeah. that, but saying, okay, well, if I dislike that, what am I going to do to change that? Like there has to be that honesty about it or like when people are going along with things sometimes and they're like, oh yeah, this is fine. But deep down it's not like, but you know, you're the only person who knows what's really happening into interior work, as you said, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, inside. It's so important. So I think just that authenticity in, to listen to your inner voice at all times is, is critical. Yes. Yes. And just, you know, and sometimes your interior voice is saying like, oh, I really hate this. I wish I didn't have to do it. And then your exterior voice says to your interior voice, (laughs) well, you said you would. And so now you have to honor that. And like, so let's just do it. And you can't like, uh, I've had a million afternoons where I have been like, just chanting to myself I don't want to do this <laughs> I don't want to do you know? the work today I don't want to do it. that's what we yeah often we'll see yes. 
you know but, but again you've made the commitment you, you know a person of your word and you you yes. do that that's that's where i think our character as individuals yeah. is is presented an opportunity then you make a note about it and then you don't agree to do it the next time which that's is right. where you know, when I said I have like the, I feel like I'm able to say like, oh, that's not really for me. I say it to my husband all the time, like as I'm wrapping something up where I have chanted, I don't want to do this every day. I'm like, when this person calls again, remind me no. yeah. that yeah. to say no and that I don't want to do this. And then he's always like, okay, I'll try. <laughs> yeah, very similarly last year, it was my last year's mantra. If I'm going to say maybe, just say no. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because I like just constantly saying maybe and then finding an excuse or being like yes. oh I can't make it and it's just shit like it's I That's know so it's smart. shit yes get yes. rid of it if I'm gonna say maybe just say no and it's a far far cleaner way to be <laughs> so good That's so yes Casey I have got the final couple of questions here they Go for are it. they are the famous 10 questions you may be familiar from the actor's studio james lipton would famously ask these 10 questions at the end of every episode as do i because hey dress for the job you want not the job you have <laughs> but um i really like yeah i can't thank you enough for your time today it means so much like you said i'm, I'm very aware that you have taken up a couple of hours of your evening to chat with me and that that literally I said it to myself before we came on I was like oh my god this was like a goal like I remember saying to my wife I was like I'm gonna invite Casey on the podcast I'm just <laughs> gonna do it and she was like shoot your shot babe like go for it and I was like I just I've got to do it and I'm I'm, I'm really thankful again so thank oh you. it's my pleasure tell your wife I said hello uh, I will, and she's going to be <laughs> wrapped. <laughs> All right, Casey saying, oh, just a final 10 questions. Here we go. What is your favourite word? Yes. Yes, love it. <laughs> what is your least favourite word? No. Perfect, perfect. What turns you on creatively, emotionally, or spiritually? What turns me on creatively, emotionally, or spiritually? Um, being or feel, being welcoming or feeling welcomed. Beautiful. I love that. What turns you off? Uh, feeling excluded. Um, feeling like I'm in the wrong place. Yeah. Yeah. What is your favorite curse word? What is my favorite? I'm... I'd say fuck, but I also like the word bitch because that is such a busy tonight. It's such a like throwback to Shantira. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Saying, that's fair. Telling us all that she wasn't a real ocean bitch. Uh, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. It's like um, a, a real credit bitch is one of the terms that I quite, <laughs> yes. in, I quite yes. enjoy. When, when After Shantira told us she wasn't an ocean bitch, everything <laughs> like, I'm a this bitch, I'm a that bitch, I'm not that bitch. I love it. I love it. I'm here for it. Um, what sound or noise do you love? Oh, I, this is church bells gets me every time. That's my alarm in the morning. I lived near a church growing up and uh, I love Christmas time. And so any type of bells, chimes, gongs, like love, a love, love, love. What sound or noise do you hate? Mm, uh, the dog that lives behind my house, Fudgy, has a very scary bark. 
Fudgy sounds yeah. so nice, though. It sounds so knowing that his name is Fudgy is helpful, but he <laughs> sounds like a dragon and a horse. All right. If like a half half dragon, half horse could bark, and it's very scary, like a Cerberus. He sounds like more than Cerberus. One. That's a good he more than one head. He's scary. <laughs> I love it. Perfect reference. Um, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Mm, that is a good question. I love, I love designing things. I think I'd love, I, I would love to be some type of industrial designer. What profession other than your own would you not like to attempt? I would not want to be, what would I not want to be? I mean, I guess I wouldn't want to do anything that had to do with sewage because it's really smelly <laughs> and okay. I always, that's what I always think of when I see people working with sewage. I'm like, those are special people because I could not take it. 100% agree with you. Yes. Those are special people. It takes a special person to do with like, be comfortable with that. I agree. I agree. Yeah. To like, I don't want to be the person that empties a septic tank. Yeah. No, thanks. No, thanks. I want to ask you one extra question if I can. Of course. Casey, what are you doing your best at this week? Oh my gosh. What am I doing my best at this week? I am doing my best at, that's a good question. Oh, you know, honestly, um, I am very simple. I'm the type of person that does all the laundry in one day. And I really hate it. I really hate spending my whole day doing laundry and so I just this week started doing one load of laundry per day, one small load. And it's just so much easier just to put away five shirts instead of 25, 25 shirts. <laughs> yeah. That has been like a real pleasure. And I think like we've made our bed every day this week, which is like for someone who loves a made bed more than anything in the world. I am notoriously horrible at making the bed. I just really love like peeling open a very nicely made bed. Mm. And then I'm like, it's such a simple thing. It takes like two seconds to make your bed. But I will say that when I worked in the nursing home, I made probably a hundred beds a night. And so I think I have reached my lifetime cap bed making. And so that might be, it could be that I have like undiagnosed <laughs> ADHD, but it could also be that you only have so many beds in you at birth. And I've exceeded that amount of bed. Totally, making. totally feel that. I'm totally cool. Tell me hospital corners. Like are we talking proper A yes. grade fold. Yes. Beautiful. Yeah. Love that. Love that. <laughs> Casey, last question of the day. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Oh, um, Casey, please meet your hero, Prince, and also your family is waiting. <laughs> but first, pancakes. Pancakes with Prince, surely. Pancakes with Prince, and then go see your grandparents. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Casey St. Ange, this has been such a treat, such a privilege, a thrill. Um, I thank uh, you for your time, your candor, your spirit, your stories that you've shared. And, like, what a, what a, like, I feel like there's so many things in there. I didn't even ask you, what's your advice 
for like someone because I feel like it's it's littered throughout this entire episode. Okay. There's just so many gems in there that um, yeah, it's going to take a couple listens, but it's it's wild. It's really uh, wild. Thank you so much for having me. And if you think of another question, you know where to find me. Oh my gosh, I need to get you back for like a Prince special. Oh, anytime, oh anytime. I've only just found video from the last concert. I went to his last world tour. In, oh. in I I feel like it was 2011, but then he did do one right before he died. He came and did another one, which was like just him and the piano tour. Yes, yes. And did not get to that one in Sydney, but I went to the one before, and it was just oh. the greatest. And I found all the videos just recently, and I was like, yes. But um, oh no, so so much. There's a whole different conversation we need to have. <laughs> uh, yeah, anytime. I'm down for that. Enjoy the rest of your evening and your weekend ahead. I can't wait to uh, share this with the world. Thank you so yes. much. And I'll Thank speak you. to you very soon. Okay. Have a great night, day. You too. It's day, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> have a great day. Thanks, Casey. Bye-bye. Bye. To continue the conversation, suggest a topic, a guest, or if you'd like to share your success strategies and journey, then connect with me and the podcast on Instagram, at The Real Vince Fusco. See you there.